Baltimore Orioles got back to 500 with a win over the Tampa Bay Rays on Monday night, but not without trade rumors swirling. And we'll talk about more of them. Maybe a Trey Mancini and Jorge Lopez trade to the Mets. We'll break it all down coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Tuesday, July 26th, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we're going to start with an Orioles victory as they beat the Rays 5-1 to in Game 1 of a four-game series on Monday night. I'll get you the five things you need to know from that Orioles victory. And then we're doing more Orioles potential trade talk as Ryan Finkelstein is going to join us. He is the host of Locked On Mets here on the Locked On Podcast Network. And we're going to talk about the potential Mets-Orioles trade rumors that have been going around the past couple of days. Circling Trey Mancini and then a reliever, possibly Jorge Lopez or maybe even Dylan Tate. But that's all coming up on this episode. But first, just want to thank you for making Locked On Orioles your first listen of the day. We're free and available on all podcast listening platforms. If you listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, if you could leave a five-star rating and a review on those apps, it's really, really how this podcast keeps going and it really helps me out. And again, you can also watch us Monday through Friday right here on the Locked On Orioles YouTube page. And If you are a subscriber to YouTube, thank you so much. If you haven't done so yet, even if you don't watch the pod on YouTube, even if you are just an audio listener, if you could just head over to the Locked On Orioles YouTube page, all you need is a Gmail to be able to subscribe and just hit that red subscribe button. It doesn't change your life. No annoying notifications. All it does is help me bring you the best Orioles content here on the podcast. And we thank you again for making Locked On Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. And for your first listen today, let's start with an Orioles victory. Orioles 5, Rays 1 is the final score from Monday night at Oriole Park at Camden Yards as the Orioles take game 1 of 4 from the Rays as the O's with the victory get themselves back to 500 on the season at 48 and 48. And I'm going to get you the five things you need to know from the Orioles victory over Tampa on Monday night. And the first thing you need to know is that Well, the Orioles bullpen was doing Orioles bullpen things on Monday night, stepping up to help the O's get the victory. Six scoreless innings from the Orioles bullpen on Monday. And I get it. The Rays offense, very injured. It's a struggle. When you look at the Rays, five through nine in their order of Raley, Walls, Lowe, Mejia, and Phillips, it's tough to look at. But still, the Orioles bullpen came in and did its job. Brian Baker, Nick Vespi, Dylan Tate, CNL Perez, and Felix Bautista all combined to dominate the Rays. Six innings, no runs on four hits from those five relievers. They struck out eight Rays combined and did not walk anyone in their six innings of work. Just a masterpiece by the Orioles bullpen. And the second thing you need to know is that specifically the guy I want to highlight from that bullpen performance is Nick Vespi, who was recalled to the Orioles roster before Monday's game, replacing Rico Garcia, the right-handed pitcher who was optioned down to AAA Norfolk on Sunday evening after Garcia, who hadn't pitched in two weeks, 
pitched two innings in relief in the loss to the Yankees on Sunday. So Vespi came up and replaced him for his third stint with the Orioles this season. And Vespi, frankly, dominated. He comes in with a runner on first and nobody out in the top of the fifth inning in a 1-1 game. He proceeds to strike out the side to get out of the fifth and then gets another strikeout to start the sixth then an infield single and then gets a ground out. At the end of the day, Vespi, an inning and two-thirds scoreless, one hit, no walks, and four strikeouts on 28 pitches, just one hard hit ball against him. He came back to the bigs and was just dominant, and it was the same stuff, you know, that 88, 89-mile-per-hour fastball with, you know, that little bit of natural cut that it has to it, and then the devastating slider. It was 28 pitches, 14 fastballs, 13 sliders, and he tossed one curveball in there. And the slider was ridiculous. Got five whiffs on that pitch, three on the fastball. Eight whiffs on 13 swings for Nick Vespi is an unreal statistic. He's got good stuff. I know he got lit up a little bit in his last couple of appearances before he went back down to AAA the last time. But if he's throwing like this, he is something special. And I mentioned this on Twitter. You know, Nick Vespi is going to be an interesting study into, you know, can a guy who throws 88 to 89 miles an hour in the big leagues, you know, really stick and sustain for, you know, long-term success out of a bullpen. And, you know, someone on Twitter made the good point that his fastball has that cut to it, so it's not necessarily a straight four-seam fastball. But still, you don't see a lot of relievers who, you know, average 88.3 miles per hour on his fastball. That is what he does and have success. But Vespi looks like he could maybe be one of those guys. Third thing you need to know from this one is that, well, the reason the Orioles had to get six scoreless innings from the bullpen is because Austin Voth, Monday night's starter, was not exactly super efficient in this one. Voth lasting just three innings in this game. Now, to his credit, he allowed only one run. It was a solo home run hit by Brandon Lau to lead off the top of the third inning that tied the game at one. But Voth stranded six base runners in this game, including, you know, he had the bases loaded with one out in the second and was able to get out of it, stranded two runners in the third as well. Don't quite know how he did it, but he did it. Three innings, one run over four hits, two Ks, three walks, and the one home run allowed again. 70 pitches through just the three innings, 39 strikes, 31 balls. He had more balls than strikes thrown, I believe, through two innings in this game. It wasn't very pretty. And the stuff didn't look great. I mean, the curveball was the one pitch that was kind of working. He did get one strikeout on a cutter. But, yeah, if the O's are going to use him in a starting sense, he has to go more than three innings. I get that he's maybe not going to go more than five. But if he's going to go three innings, you got to have some sort of follower. He seems like a perfect guy to piggyback with D.L. Hall. It's time to get D.L. Hall in the big leagues. I think a perfect spot would be, you know, maybe D.L. Hall starts a game, goes three. Voth comes in with, you know, kind of different stuff from the right side. He goes three. And then you hand it over to the back end of the bullpen. Voth showed last weekend in Tampa that he can pitch well out of the bullpen as well. I think he's going to settle into that role later this season as the Orioles bring up more starters. But he, if he's going to start, he needs a long man follower. D.L. Hall, just, just give me D.L. Hall. Make that be the guy. Fourth thing you need to know from this one is that offensively for the Orioles, it was another big inning that helped them 
win this game. Of course, they had really the two big innings on Saturday that helped with the comeback. But in this one on Monday, it was a four-run fifth inning that was the difference. It was a 1-1 game heading into the fifth. The O's get four, and that was the end of the scoring in a 5-1 victory. And for the Orioles, it was about just maintaining the rally in the inning. They loaded the bases with one out for Ryan Mountcastle, who deposited a two-run single into right center field. Cedric Mullins got a great jump, had an awesome kind of diving slide into home plate that just beat a great throw from Brett Phillips from center field to make it a 3-1 to game. And then you get the error by G-Man Choi on a grounder that makes it 4-1. to Austin Hayes, a sack fly, makes it 5-1. to And the Orioles kept piling on to get that big inning against Ray starter Corey Kluber, who was kind of rolling along through four innings and allowed just the one run. But, you know, they got to him in that fifth inning. And what was big for the Orioles is they kind of wasted away a chance to have a big inning earlier in the game. They loaded the bases with nobody out against Kluber in the second inning. Rugnet Odor came up, hit a sack fly to make it one nothing, and both runners moved up. So it was second and third with one out. But Ryan McKenna and Jonathan Arreuz both popped out to end the inning. The O's just got one in the second, but they got another chance for a big inning and converted in the fifth. And that was huge for an Orioles offense that, of course, was coming off getting shut out on Sunday. And the fifth and final thing you need to know from this Orioles 5-1 to victory is that everybody in the starting lineup for the Orioles in this game reached base. The Orioles with five runs on eight hits in this one. You had seven of the nine Orioles starters come up with a hit. Cedric Mullins had a single. Ryan Mountcastle had a single. Anthony Santander, Austin Hayes all had singles. What was interesting about this game, it was eight hits. They were all singles. Mullins won. Mountcastle won. Santander won. Hayes won. Arias had two and a two for four. McKenna had one and Arayuz had one as well. And Rugnet Odor and Adley Rutschman, the only two guys who didn't have a hit. Well, Rutschman walked and was hit by a pitch. And Odor walked and had that RBI sack fly that put the Orioles on the board. So everybody did something from an offensive standpoint. Even Jonathan Arayuz, who was you know getting some crap from Orioles fans for being in the lineup. He was the only Orioles hitter as he got the start shortstop batting ninth to have more than one hard hit ball on the night. Arayuz had two hard hit balls. He was robbed of a potential RBI single in the seventh on a screaming grounder up the middle. And then Arayuz blasted a ball off the right field wall in the bottom of the eighth inning, was thrown out trying to stretch it into a double that eventually ended the inning and actually got hurt on the play, sliding into second. Looked like he hurt his wrist. Jorge Mateo replaced him defensively at shortstop in the top of the ninth. So that'll be something to monitor. Obviously, Arreuz hasn't been a huge part of this Orioles team. Basically hadn't played in two weeks before getting the start at shortstop on Monday night, but his first two at-bats weren't really competitive. It shows that it's tough for anybody to, you know, come off the bench that cold and produce, but then he hit two hard-hit balls. That ball he hit in the the eighth inning, a rocket, 107.3 miles per hour off the bat, slamming it off the big wall and right. He's only 23 years old. He's still got potential, and to me, if the Orioles are going to kind of stick with this Odor, Mateo, Arias infield, and just have two other infielders to kind of fill in once a week and be utility guys, I'm fine with that utility guy being Jonathan Arayuz. Now, if they're going to bring up Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westberg, I want them to play them every day. I don't want Westberg or Henderson to be in this utility role. Maybe I'm okay with Taron Vavra being in the utility role, but if the role of Arayuz is just going to be to start once a week and, and be ready off the bench if you need him, I'm okay with him being on the roster. Obviously, I'd rather have Henderson or Westberg or Vavra. But if they're going to come up, 
they need to play almost every day. So for now, I guess Arius is fine. And those last two balls he hit, screamers off the bat. Hopefully he's okay. We'll obviously have an update on the injury for you when we get one. But for the Orioles, you know, they came up with a big win on Monday night to start the series. But the O's have been, obviously, in the news a little bit because it's trade season and rumors are swirling. And one of those rumors we've heard is that the Mets are very interested in Trey Mancini and also very interested in an Orioles reliever, whether it be Jorge Lopez or maybe even Dylan Tate. So we wanted to talk through these Orioles-Mets rumors and maybe put together some trade possibilities that could send Mancini and a reliever like Lopez over to New York and what the Orioles could get prospect-wise. So to do that, we are joined by Ryan Finkelstein for a Locked On crossover episode. Ryan is the host of Locked On Mets here on the Locked On Podcast Network, and we talk all about these trade rumors, how this trade could work for each team, and whether each side would do a trade, you know, giving up maybe some controllable Major League-ready starting pitching that the Mets would give the Orioles to get Trey Mancini back. That's all coming up right after this. But first, got to tell you about BlueNile.com. Because whether you're ready to pop the question or you're just celebrating a milestone moment, you can find that special piece of jewelry at BlueNile.com. And here's what makes this website so great. Whether you you know want to customize your piece of jewelry, whether you want to ask questions about you know the size, the shape, the clarity, the setting style... Blue Nile has so many jewelers, and they are on hand 24-7. So if you have trouble choosing or you don't know what you should really be looking for, what you should be buying, the jewelry experts are always there, available via phone or chat to help you find a memorable gift at every budget. So make your moments sparkle with jewelry from BlueNile.com. And going on now is the Blue Nile Anniversary Sale. Save up to 40% on classic fine jewelry pieces and 25% on engagement ring settings. Plus, every order is insured, ships free, and arrives in discreet packaging that won't give away what's inside. Shop stress-free and find your forever peace. Go to BlueNile.com today. Locked on Mets, Locked on Orioles crossover trade deadline special. This is Ryan Finkelstein, the host of Locked on Mets. You can find me on Twitter at Finkelstein. Ryan, got Connor Newcomb here, the host of Locked on Orioles. Definitely follow him. One of the best follows on the Locked on OB channel at Connor Newcomb underscore. And today we're talking Trey Mancini and Jorge Lopez to the Mets. There was a package that was recently floated. I talked about it on yesterday's show um, from Pat Ragazzo, who covers the team, and Michael Moreno. And, and basically, this is a standing offer the Mets had for Josh Bell. It was a starting pitcher plus a high-level minor league outfielder um, for Bell in a relief pitcher. Now, the Nationals don't have a lot of relief pitchers I would necessarily want. And when you think about that kind of a profile of a package, it lends right into David Peterson or Tyler McGill, who have both kind of ascended as being quality major league stars that you have control of. Plus, you look at the, the top of the Mets minor leagues, Khalil Lee and Nick Plummer are really the only guys that fit that bill. So I think you take that exact package you move it over to this trade, and I think we were talking a little bit earlier about this. The one additional piece I think you have to throw in because Lopez has the control, makes him more valuable than kind of Josh Bell and whatever reliever you're talking about. That would be you throw in uh, Willie Feñas as the guy. I think I, I, I earmarked for you. Let me make sure I had him. I had to have him right exactly here, right? 
Yes, Willie Fagnas. I, I knew it was Fagnas, but I wasn't sure about the first name. But the Mets, they signed two international free agents prior to this season. Simone Juan, who I don't think they would want to give up on. And they also got this guy, Fagnas, who's a toolsy 17-year-old. So you're getting a 17-year-old kind of lottery ticket. You're getting a dependable starter. And then you're getting these guys in Khalil Lee and Nick Plummer, who for the Orioles, they can just kind of give them some at-bats at the big league level and see both these guys getting towards their mid-20s. Nick Plummer's already there. I think Khalil Lee is still 23 or 24. Um, guys that, you know, they have the pop, they have the tools. But I think there's definite fourth outfielder risk with both of them. But you never know what happens with some playing time. So what is your kind of initial reaction to that type of a package for the Orioles? Yeah, I think I'll start with the starting pitcher. I think it makes yeah. a lot of sense for the Orioles to go after a controllable young starting pitcher who is not necessarily someone's top prospect, but has been in the big leagues already, has shown that they can get outs at the big league level, but also obviously still needs some seasoning and you know isn't exactly a, you know, a, a mid-rotation solidified guy in the big leagues yet. And that's why McGill... And Peterson kind of makes sense. And for me, you know, we talked about this off air that, you know, I would be down with either guy for different reasons. I think McGill ultimately has a higher ceiling than Peterson does. I think at the end of the day, you know, that huge build, I know he's already 26 years old, but big guy, you know, I think he can put even more on his fastball potentially. And, you know, we could see maybe a secondary from him emerge as a dominant pitch. I think for Peterson, what you've seen is he's got a really, really good slider from the left side, and I think he already has a really, really good slider. Like, But the thing with Peterson is, you know, he's got a three-something ERA. I think he's been pretty solid this year. Will he get a lot better than this? Because we know, you know, the fastball isn't anything amazing, and the other secondaries aren't nearly what his slider is. So do the Orioles go for a guy in Peterson who you plug in the day you trade for him into your starting rotation and your rotation gets better? Or do you go for the Tyler McGill who, you know, maybe, you know, you're not relying on him immediately because his ERA has been a little worse, but you think down the road you can get, you know, your pitching coaches, Chris Holt and your minor league guys with your hands on Tyler McGill and maybe he gets better, you know, down the yeah. road. So I think, Depending on what the rest of the package is, the O's could go for either of those guys. I think, you know, you mentioned a 17-year-old from the Dominican Summer League. Michael Elias seems to like one of those guys thrown into every single trade that he makes uh, because he is pretty confident in his scouts at, at the DSL to kind of find guys, you know. And I don't think he's found a Fernando Tatis Jr. style, you know, 18-year-old pickup yet, but he's done pretty well. And a couple of the guys he acquired in 2019 and 2020 in these type deals are already into, you know, high A and, and performing really, really well. So, you know, he's been able to do this a little bit with, with names like Gene Pinto and Michelle Deson and others who are already in full season ball and, and playing really well, who he just kind of plucked at the end of deals as what we thought was a throw in. And, you know, some of them, in, including Pinto, turned out to be kind of the centerpiece um, of a trade for Jose Iglesias a couple of years ago. The one thing that I think would be most interesting is the kind of, you know, guys who have cup of coffee, major league outfielders, more of triple A guys right now who are hoping to get to the big leagues. And the reason I say that is the one spot on the Orioles that could certainly be upgraded, but would take a really good player right now is the outfield. They have Austin Hayes, Cedric Mullins, and Anthony Santander basically every single day. That's your, that's your, your three in the outfield. And all three are performing and all three are controlled for, you know, three plus more years. 
Now, I do think the Orioles may move Santander at this deadline because, you know, he, he's got two more years after this. But the reason they may move him is because they have a guy in Kyle Stowers, who was their sixth-ranked prospect, who has been lighting the world on fire at AAA. He was the co-minor league player of the year with Adley Rutschman. You may have heard of him in the Orioles system last year. So they're ready to bring Stowers to the big leagues. And if they do trade Santander, Stowers literally plays his exact position in right field. And the O's think long-term his bat is better than Santander's. So the issue with a plumber or you know a, a guy like Lee is that, yeah, they could maybe assume a fourth outfielder role on the Orioles right now, but the at-bats are not going to be there to truly get a good look at them. Now, if the O's put them in AAA, they would play every day and they could really get a good look, but I think both those guys are at the point where they need the look in the majors and they don't need the yeah. look at AAA. So I don't know if just a you know Peterson and a 17-year-old would get it done. So it would be interesting to see if Mike Elias doesn't want to go that route of one of those two outfielders, who I think the Mets will probably include in one of these trades when they're going to add a bat. I think, you know, it just works out that way. That's kind of the perfect piece to add in these trades. Would, you know, Elias go for another pitcher? Because I know the top 20-ish in the Mets system is very pitcher heavy. So it could be potentially going after, you know, another one of these kind of mid-level arms in the system instead of one of those outfielders. And only because... You know, the Orioles are not going to value a guy like Lee or a guy like Plummer, like even a team like the Nats would. If the Nats acquired one of those guys in a Josh Bell trade, I mean, that player would be in the Major League outfield tomorrow. Yeah. For the Orioles, it would be tough because even, you know, I mentioned those three outfielders. I mentioned Stowers, you know, in, in AAA. The Orioles' current fourth outfielder, Ryan McKenna, is very similar in terms of kind of prospect status. He's just kind of a year ahead of Lee and Plummer. He was a top 10 prospect. He was an outfielder, you know, great defender, a lot of speed. The bat was up and down and he got to the big leagues and the bat just couldn't let him stick. But because he's so good defensively and with his speed, he's just kind of stuck around as the fourth outfielder. And so it'll be interesting to see, you know, could it be another pitcher maybe? And would the Mets be willing to instead part with another pitcher to make this deal done? Well, I think we should talk about that on the other side of the break here because I got another picture to talk about. And I also want to get into Peterson and McGill a little bit more because I do think that obviously is the main piece that's going to swing this. And which one of the Mets be more willing to trade in that scenario either? Before we get to that, though, welcome to the world of sports cards reimagined with the Sports Card Investor app. It's the hobby's most powerful resource where you can quickly check the value of your favorite cards, find great deals, and profit from the hobby you love. Available completely free in the Google Play and Apple App Store, the Sports Card Investor app is a must-have for baseball fans where you can easily browse over 630,000 cards from every sport with hundreds more added each week. You can check the latest values of your favorite cards with the 7-day or 30-day charts. You can find the best prices and buy directly through the app with their eBay deals feature. Whether you're interested in investing in prospect cards in the hopes of finding great deals on players who might just pop like some of the guys we're talking about right now, you know, prospects who could end up really increasing in value. If you want to get nostalgic, go back in time and check out some cards from the players of the past. Download Sports Card Investor app today, which is available for free in the Google Play and Apple App Stores, or go to sportscardinvestor.com slash locked on. Now, getting back to this trade, I want to start with the third piece, and then I'm going to circle back to Peterson and McGill. Here's just another name to throw at you. You got Mike Vassell, a guy the Mets drafted in the eighth round, 2021. Got a 3-4-1 ERA this year, 14 starts. 
Uh, he has spent the year originally in uh, low A. Now he's been in high A. Has not had great success in high A. 5-4-0 ERA there, one eight zero ERA in low A. But to me, it's almost a similar pitcher, maybe a little bit farther behind than when the Mets traded Kevin Smith to the Orioles for Miguel Castro a couple years ago. That's just an arm where, you know, I don't know if the ceiling is super high, but you think like maybe he can be an innings eater starter one day. Maybe he can pop for you and be a little bit more. So if they want an arm, I think that's one way to go. Um, you know, as you mentioned, Khalil Lee, and, and Nick Plummer are, you know, being shot probably a lot in a lot of these different trades. I imagine Dom Smith and J.D. Davis are shopped in every trade. And I don't think either of those pieces would necessarily interest the Orioles with their kind of lack of long control that would fit their window and their lack of position that really fits with what they're doing. So if we're talking, you know, two arms here in the lottery ticket, like I said, that name on the lottery ticket, it's whoever the Orioles value, right? I just threw a name out there. It could right. be anybody, but what would you think about that piece added with a Peterson and a McGill here? Yeah, it kind of makes sense with what the O's have done as well, a 2021 draft pick. Uh, when they made the trade of Dylan Bundy a couple of years ago and sent him to the Angels, they got four pitchers back in that deal. And a few of those pitchers literally hadn't even pitched in the Angels system yet. It was, you know, they got them uh, after the 2020 season. And, you know, these were guys who were drafted and, you know, didn't even pitch in 2020 yeah. or they were 2019 draft picks, but the Angels shut them down after the draft, didn't have them pitch in 2019. And of course, there was no 2020 minor league season. So they actually got multiple pitchers who never threw an inning in the minor leagues for the Angels. And, you know, Michael Elias, I think, is OK with saying, OK, this is a guy that another team drafted recently. They got, you know, a little bit of development into him. We could see a little bit more from what he looks like against professional hitters. And then go after him. And, you know, just reading the the fan graphs right up on uh, Mike Fasile, who I, I remember from a little bit from Virginia uh, in his college days, you know, Eric Longenhagen writing that he was actually a bigger prospect in high school and was potentially yeah. like a, a first rounder. And then I believe he got injured and had surgery and had to miss some college time. And so that's a guy who I could see the O's maybe liking because, hey, you know, way back when he had this arm that people were salivating on and, you know, he's dropped down some boards and, you know, maybe a little bit of struggles with the with the Mets as he advances up. So that's certainly a guy, you know, for, for Orioles fans listening, he's ranked 18th right now in the, in the fan graphs, uh, you know, system rankings for the Mets. And I believe Holderman was ranked ahead of him. So now that he's gone, you could jump him up to 17th in the Mets <laughs> system right now. Honestly, Holderman would have been a guy who would maybe fit this, uh, fit this mold right here had they not sent him over to Pittsburgh uh, for Daniel Vogelback. But I think that's definitely something that uh, Mike Elias would, would certainly look into that kind of pitcher. Yeah. And, and then, so you get to the main piece here. Is it Peterson or McGill? It's interesting because I think if they were both healthy, I believe the Mets would be pushing Peterson a little bit more in this type of a trade because, like you said, McGill has this high ceiling. You're talking about a guy that has touched 100 this year, that has you know seven foot extension. He's six foot seven. I mean, Peterson's a tall guy too, but you know, McGill kind of uses height a little bit more to his advantage. And I really do think that, not that I expect him to become a frontline guy, but you could still envision a scenario when that happens. With that said, he's been hurt. And as much as the Mets can hope that Jacob DeGrom is going to be healthy for the rest of the year and they can just roll out a rotation of their veterans with Scherzer, DeGrom, Carrasco, Bassett, and Walker, there's no guarantee in that. And Peterson has been so solid for this team. I don't know if they necessarily want to move him right now. Um, you know, 3-3-1 ERA, he's been so good. We talk about the slider and then, you know, talk about the Orioles fans and the interest in him as well. That slider, uh, a 47% whiff percentage on that pitch. 
He's putting away batters at a 34% clip with it. Suddenly he's able to get strikeouts as a guy that was always more of a ground ball pitcher. He's a really quality starting pitcher. So I think the Orioles couldn't go wrong in this deal. I think either of them gives you what you would want. I'm curious where the Mets would go with it, but I think if we're just talking about the shape of the deal and what the Mets are doing at the deadline, you know, Colin Holderman, really nice find this year, still a relief pitcher. Talking about a lottery ticket. I mean, those are a dime a dozen. Talking about giving up a, a prospect in Vasile that is good, but not one of their probably top five starter arms in their system. And then you're giving up, you know, what hurts a lot in one of these starting pitchers, but for a stretch run, to add a Vogelbach and Mancini as a as a DH platoon, plus, like you said, Mancini, a little more versatility um, than like a Josh Bell would bring to the Mets positionally. To be able to add a guy that's a legitimate lockdown reliever with Edwin Diaz, that's the big thing here. You're getting a guy with control that you can slot in, that can save games when Diaz can't, that can be the eighth inning guy. It makes a lot of sense for the Mets to have addressed all their holes heading into the deadline. And for a rebuilding team like the Orioles, I would imagine this trade does make a lot of sense to you as well. Yeah, and the other thing on the Mets side is, you know, at the end of the day, even if Peterson keeps pitching like this and he's got a 3-5 ERA, you know, is Buck Showalter going to give him the ball in a playoff game? You know, obviously he's not going to get the ball before Max and and DeGrom and, and even Bassett when they're healthy, but then you throw in Taiwan Walker – Rarely do you use more than four starting pitchers, you know, in the postseason. Obviously, Peterson helps you down the line. You're locked in a, in, you know, a great race with the Braves right now. But, you know, all things considered, would a lockdown reliever, as we saw on Sunday Night Baseball, you know, the the, the Mets kind of uh, struggled to close out that game before. You really didn't want to have Edwin Diaz pitch in that game, as I'm sure the Mets fans listening know. But he had to get three outs. You know, so is that plus another bat worth more than your fifth starter? down the stretch with a team that has some pitching prospects in AAA, you know, that can fill out that role next year, or even, you know, the one who's not traded can, can fill out that, that other, you know, fifth role. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, from an Orioles standpoint, I mean, I'm still sticking to my guns that unless the big time offer comes, I don't want the Orioles to deal Trey Mancini. It's actually interesting because Lopez has two more years after this, but it'd actually be more upset if the Orioles dealt, Trey than I would with Lopez. A lot of that has to do with, you know, thinking with heart and not head a little bit about what Trey Mancini has meant. And also, I don't know if you've seen Felix Bautista pitch, but the Orioles have an immediate fill-in at closer uh, if they do deal Jorge Lopez. Felix Bautista throws 102 with the nastiest splitter you've ever seen. So they'll be okay maybe in that sense. But a deal where you get that controllable starting pitcher who is ready to be plugged into your rotation immediately. I mean, the Orioles rotation right now, hopefully will get better when DL Hall comes to the big leagues and some other guys get healthy. But you're looking at, you know, these first two games against Tampa this week, Spencer Watkins and Austin Voth are pitching. And Mets fans probably know Austin Voth. I doubt they know who Spencer Watkins is. And they probably only know the really bad version of Austin Voth. That's what the O's are sending out there. And those two guys are pitching well out of their means right now, which has been great, but that's not going to last. So to get that controllable starter, and those fans can dream about going and getting Tyler Molly or Pablo Lopez, or I don't think they're getting Luis Castillo, but you know, I don't think that deal is going to happen. A much more reasonable deal is to get one of these guys on a team like the Mets, who these kind of pitchers are a little expendable for, where yeah. they're going to help the Orioles a lot more than they help the Mets. And so I think if Mike Elias is kind of locked in on trading these two guys, 
If you're going to trade Trey, I would certainly package him with a reliever like Lopez because I think you're going to get much more back than if you deal the two of them separately. And if the deal does look something like this, I'm going to be sad because Trey Mancini's gone. But I think my number one on the checklist of if you're trading Trey is get a controllable starting pitcher back somehow. And that would obviously check off that box. Yeah, it would. And and I think, you know, the the, the prospect of losing Peters from this team, like you just mentioned, like it's the same thing with the Vogelbach trade where I was talking about Colin Holderman. Holderman, been great this year. For, for this team, Vogelbach's going to have a much bigger role. The exact same thing comes into play in this trade. You still have a Trevor Williams to fill that fifth starter swingman role. Not as well, but you have him. You have McGill rehabbing to hopefully come back soon. You even have Joe Lucchese also rehabbing off Tommy John. So there's other options for the Mets. You got DeGrom making his final rehab start. You got a day off after Thursday. You don't need Peterson in the rotation. Like you said, the Orioles would need him more. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, we will see if this ends up being a trade that comes to fruition at this deadline. Uh, that's going to be all for this edition of Locked on Mets and Locked on Orioles. Uh, make sure you follow us wherever you get your podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Finkelstein Ryan. You can follow Connor at Connor Newcomb underscore. And, uh, you know, if you want to make something else your second listen, check out Locked on MLB Prospects. Lindsey Crosby is our prospect encyclopedia, covered a bunch of stuff with the MLB draft and, of course, focusing on the stars of tomorrow, guys that can be included in trades like this one. So make sure you make Lockdown MLB Prospects your second list and you can find it available wherever you get podcasts. And it's Connor Newcomb back here with you. Thank you so much to Ryan Finkelstein for joining us for a crossover episode, Locked on Orioles and Locked on Mets. Ryan does a great job over at the Locked on Mets podcast covering, of course, Buck Showalter's new team. And it feels like probably if the Orioles don't make the playoffs, the adopted team of most Orioles fans in the postseason this year, if indeed the Mets do get there. And, you know, that's the one thing with a potential trade involving the Orioles, and especially one that has to do with Trey Mancini. You know, I've talked about it on this podcast. I do not think the Orioles should trade Trey Mancini. But what we talked about in this crossover is, It'll make it a little easier to swallow if the O's do trade him as part of a package deal with one of their relievers like Jorge Lopez because they're going to get more back for trading both of them together, I think, than if they trade them both separately. And it could give the O's a little bit better of a return, including maybe a major league ready starter who is controllable like a David Peterson or like a McGill like we talked about who could help the Orioles in the rotation right away where they certainly need some help. But uh, I still don't think they should trade Trey, but... If he does get traded, I think the softest blow would be if he goes to the Mets and uh, can get to the postseason once again being managed by Buck Showalter. But that's not the end of our trade deadline content on the pod this week because, as you know, we are a week away from the 2022 trade deadline. Next Tuesday, August 2nd, during the afternoon, is the deadline. And so we're going to continue to have this trade deadline content. And coming up tomorrow on the pod, as long as the Orioles don't make a trade between now and then, we are going to rank all of the Orioles trade candidates from most to least likely to be dealt by the Orioles before Tuesday's deadline. That is coming up on tomorrow's episode. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.